contributions. So, so great to be a part of what God is doing in Dominican. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, let's turn our hearts and uh, minds to, um, to the Word. And uh, those of you who have been tracking with us over the last uh, four weeks, uh, you will know that we have been in a series on discipleship, uh, and we've been using, besides, of course, the Scriptures, um, which are, are our foundation, but we've been using this, this book in, uh, both in our Sunday messages and in our connect groups called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And I hope those of you who are uh, tracking with that are receiving from, from that and enjoying it. Um, week one in this series, we talked about the 10 symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality and, uh, and really the, the problem, right? Uh, it is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature, uh, week two, we talked about know yourself. It's a starting place that, uh, that, that there's this awareness, self-awareness of what's going on in our, in our hearts. And if we don't know what's going on in here, we, we can't know how to let God have more of us, right? And so that's, that's vital. And then last week, we talked about going back to go forward. Um, dealing with, with stuff in our past that we need to deal with so that we can move forward. Um, big windshield, small rearview rear mirror, right? And this week we're talking about going through the wall. Going through the wall. What wall are we talking about? Right? Going through the wall. God deals with us in seasons, or stages in our journey of faith. We first come to Christ, many of us, you know, describe a sense of joy, of freedom from sin, uh, freedom from things that have, you know, had chained us before, a sense of zeal and passion for God, newness of everything, right? That, that those kind of describe the, the, what I've often heard from people who are new in Christ, um, we're talking in this series about spiritual maturity. And so I want to take a little bit of a look at how natural growth and maturity as humans, from babies to grown-ups, um, you know, take a bit of a look at that and how some of the principles of that maturing parallel what, what happens spiritually. In a number of places in the New Testament, uh, we'll find this parallel used um, and where, where the writers talk about, you know, as, as new Christians, we, we're on our, it's like we're on our mother's milk and we need to mature, become grown-ups who eat meat. Arr, meat. Love meat. Yeah. Thinking of the deer steak I'm going to have for lunch today. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, for example, in Hebrews 5, I think this might be up there. Nope, it's not. Um, Hebrews 5, um, 
verse 12 to 14 says, In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. So he's, he's writing and talking to people who are not maturing, right? You ought to be teachers, but you need teachers. Um, you need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness, but solid food, he says, is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Now, we don't have time to do a dive on that passage, but it's an example of places in Scripture that, that make this comparison. Okay, a, a baby has no conscious awareness of the parent. When they're first born, they can't even focus their eyes to see the parent. They have no ability at that stage of development to conceive of other. Separateness. I'm here, you're there. They, they don't have the capacity or ability at that stage of development to think of another they don't think about the parents' needs. Right at 2 a.m., when you're pacing the floor trying to get them to stop crying, they're not like, oh, sorry, am I keeping you awake? I'll be quiet now. Right? It just, just doesn't happen. There's not that awareness of the other. There's a subconscious awareness of the parent only as she or he relates to their comfort and the fulfillment of their needs. Am I warm? <laughs> Why, thank you. <laughs> yeah, TMI. Are, am I warm? Am I fed? Am I rested? Do I have a clean diaper? Right? That's all the baby can think about, all, their, all that's on their little brain. Or do I have tummy cramps? Am I hungry? Am I fighting sleep? Do I need my diaper changed? Right? Like, all that matters to, a, to an infant is their comfort. That's not bad. It's not evil. It's just the stage of development that they're in. Right? There's nothing evil about it. It's the natural season of the beginning of life. A person who is spiritually a baby is conscious of God primarily as he relates to the fulfillment of their needs. He saved me. He healed me. He rescued me. He provides for me. He gives me purpose. It's not bad. It's not evil. It's just a stage of development. When we first... You know, when, we, when our kids were, were babies and were young, we first started to give them food. You know, we would, we would give them what we knew they liked. Applesauce was a big hit, right? Um, sweet potatoes was a big hit. There were other things that were not big hits. So at first, we gave them what they would eat so that we could get them eating. All that we want, all that we cared is let's get them eating, right? So we gave them what they wanted. 
However, a 15-year-old taking a baby bottle of milk to school is a problem. A kid going off to college and all they eat is pablum and applesauce is a problem, right? And at some point, we need to move them from being a child, giving them what they want, to helping them make decisions to have a balanced diet. And they have to go from seeing you as the one who's there to give them everything they, they want or need um, to the one who will help them make wise choices and stand on their own. From being the one who is their never-ending free ride to the one who teaches them responsibility and independence. Right? So how does that happen? It requires stopping the flow of milk. It requires some discipline over vegetables that they might not like. It requires them having to do some chores that they're not excited about. It's about not about what they want or feel like, but it's about what needs to happen in order for them to mature. Right? And so we have those same things in our spiritual journey. And, and in the book, Pete Scazzaro outlines these stages of faith. Stage one, this life-changing awareness of God. Stage two, discipleship. You begin to learn. Get, you know, there's this hunger for the Word, and you begin to learn and grow and learn some stuff. The active life, stage three, you start to serve. You realize, hey, I, I want to do something for God, and you start to, to serve and do some things. Then he describes this thing called the wall. Boom. And, and the wall serves a very important purpose in our journey because as long as the blessings keep coming and I just keep thinking, you know, everything's just rosy and I just keep serving God and just, I've, I've really got no reason to look at some of the deeper issues in my heart. I've really got no reason to, to look below the surface. I've really got no reason to, 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 to put down those deeper roots and grow that, that rich perseverance that needs to grow in my life, right? The early seasons in our spiritual journey are often real joy. And it's easy to see and sense that God is near. Answers to prayer seem to come so, so easy oftentimes to people who are new in, in, in the faith. God is giving us what we need as infants, we gladly find ways to serve because we know that God wants us to make a difference. But in order for us to grow beyond our faith being largely this emotional experience and for our faith to mature, to handle the complexities of life, there comes a point where we need to have some challenges to experience maybe even some dry times when we don't sense the presence of God like we used to. Am I in this for the buzz, or am I in this for the long haul? Right? 
Am I in it for me or am I in it because God is worth it no matter what life throws at me? A natural part of our spiritual journey is to hit a wall, as, as Pete calls it, or, or as one of the most famous books besides the Bible in all of Christian history puts it, we enter a dark night of the soul. That sounds ominous, doesn't it? Sign me up for that. In a book by that name, written by a, na- a man called John of the Cross, who lived in the eight, late 1500s, continues to influence Christians today to understand how we grow as followers of Jesus. A wall or a dark night of the soul is not just a simple trial. You know, I had a rough day at work, or people gave me a hard time for, uh, you know, about about living for Jesus. Um, Those are trials, those are challenges, but the wall is something much bigger. It's a season in your spiritual journey where you face a defining life trial or even tragedy. And simple answers, pat answers that people want to give you. And maybe even reading Scripture just might might feel hollow for a season. God is calling you deeper. Pete puts it this way in the book. He says, For most of us, the wall appears through a crisis that turns our world upside down. It comes perhaps through a divorce, a job loss, the death of a close friend or a family member, a cancer diagnosis, a disillusioning church experience, a betrayal, a shattered dream, a wayward child, a car accident, an inability to get pregnant, a deep desire to marry that remains unfulfilled, a dryness or loss of joy in our relationship with God. We question ourselves, God, the church. We discover for the first time that our faith does not appear to work. Air quotes. We have more questions than answers as the foundation of our faith feels like it's on the line. We don't know where God is, what He's doing, where He's going, how He's getting us there, or when this will be over. You're hearing some hmm and and seeing some nods because if you've been in this thing for a few years, you've experienced some of this. And if we don't understand that this is the normal path in how we grow spiritually, we might be so disappointed or disoriented or angry that we just give up. We either get stuck at the wall and our faith just doesn't progress or we walk away altogether. One of the one of the most vivid pictures of this I've ever heard described is by Charles Dickens in the book Great Expectations. He talks about a woman named Miss Haversham. Miss Haversham, um, probably about 
10 years before the events of the book, was supposed to get married. Her wedding day came. She had her dress on. The wedding cake was on the table in, in her mansion, in this big room, on this big table. Her wedding cake is there, and the decorations are everywhere. And her groom stands her up. And she's so distraught by this that she literally spends the next 10 years when, when Pip meets her in the book. She every day gets up, puts on her wedding dress, her yellowed, aged, moth-eaten wedding dress. The cake is still on the table, decaying. And the clock is stopped at the exact time that the wedding was supposed to happen 10 years previously. She got to the wall and she just stopped living. She, she just gave up. Now that's drastic. But some of us do that in our spiritual journey. It's not that God does painful things to you. But it's that when they happen, and folks in life, they happen. When they happen, God is right there with you. Ready to use this Tragic moment as an opportunity for your deep growth because he never wastes anything. And our temptation when we're stuck in these moments is to ask that big question why me? Why is this happening? But yes, it's the wrong question. Part of the point of the book of Job is to tell us you won't get the answer to that question. Job never got the answer to that question. But he learned a better question. And he was willing to sit with God in the question, what are you doing? What are you up to in my life? What do you want of me? And, as, and, and Job's, Job's wife tried to give an answer to the question and his friends tried to give an answer to the question, right? His religious friends. Folks, people will try to give you answers to that question, why me, if you ask it. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to them because they will be just as terrible as Job's friends' answers. Because life is too complicated for simplistic answers to those kinds of questions. But if, like Job, you're willing to sit with God in the question, God, what are you doing in this moment? What are you doing in this situation? What do you want 
of me. Folks, when Job asked that question, God met him in that moment and in that question and gave him one of the most profound revelations of who God is in all of Scripture. God took Job deep. And the revelation that Job got in the midst of this challenging season in his life made him a, uh, a spiritual leader that the whole world wanted to be near. If you read the end of the book. And made him a spiritual leader that we're still reading his story today. So like Job, the key is to learn to wait on God in the brokenness and say, God, what do you want of me? In Luke chapter 4, we read these strange words. Jesus, following his baptism, it says in chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan where he was just baptized and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil or tested. That, that word can mean tempted or tested, the Greek word there. The Holy Spirit led him to a place that was hard and difficult. Why would he do that? Because there were things that needed to be completed even in the life of Jesus, the God-man, for him to be ready for what was ahead. Isn't that interesting? Often through Scripture, we see God meeting people in the desert, in the dry times, in the dry places. They're not just, it's, not, they're not, it's not just describing an ecosystem. It's talking about the aridness of their experience. Wondering where God is. And so we have in Numbers chapter 11... The Israelites are, are on this journey in the desert. It says, The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, that's not like fishing for whales, but whining and wailing. Um, if only we had meat to eat. Mm, deer steak. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost and also the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic, the spices, right? But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. God led the Israelites into the desert to change their appetite. 
Egypt always in Scripture is a is um, uh, is a is a symbol for sin and the world. God led Israel out of Egypt. That, that was a picture of God leading all of us out of sin, out of the world, right? But sometimes we still have an appetite for the things of the world. And this was a picture of God changing the appetite of the Hebrew people to no longer crave the things of the world, but to crave the things of God. How do I know that? At the end of the 40 years, God explains it. Isn't it interesting how God often doesn't explain Himself in the middle of our desert experience? But afterwards, we understand. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, at the end of the 40 years, says this, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way into the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Wow. Wow. (laughs) No steak. Wow. There are times when the Spirit leads us into the desert because our appetites need to change, because we need to come to a place where we hunger not for God as our vehicle to get to what we want, but we hunger for God, period. Every leader in Scripture had their dark night or their wall that brought them to that place. Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, Elijah, Jeremiah, Jonah, Habakkuk, Nehemiah, Peter, and yes, even Jesus. During these seasons... And for some, these seasons lasted years, right? But during these seasons, they experienced deep revelations of who God was, which enabled deep transformation in their life, which in turn enabled a broader influence for the kingdom of God on the earth. Some of you have experienced a great level of challenge and pain in your life. And God has trusted you with an opportunity to experience a greater level of revelation. 
and transformation. You may say, well, I didn't sign up for that. You may say if you're on the, you know, if you haven't experienced that yet, anything like that, you may say, I don't, I don't want to sign up for that, right? I hope that's not in the cards for me. But those of us who have walked through those times and have allowed God to do what He wanted and needed to do in us, will say, as painful as it was, I wouldn't trade it for anything. As Paul talks about it, this this transforming work, Paul, Paul talks about it as the the transforming work of the cross in our lives. He describes our growth as a cycle of death and resurrection. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 10, he says, We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. When we go through crushing times, embrace it as the work of the cross in your life to bring about the death of what needs to die, so that what God wants to live in you can live. Be encouraged that whenever there is a death of something in your life, there's a resurrection coming. There's a resurrection coming. And I don't mean when you leave this earth and that's, that's the great resurrection. I'm talking about God bringing resurrection life in you now. We need to wrap this up soon. Running out of time. Um, there is uh, life, as uh, as Pete says in this, in his book. There's life on the other side of the wall. So we're willing to journey through the the dark night, the wall. Willing to embrace it. Willing to say to sit with God in the question, God, what do you want to do in me? When we come through it, we are changed. And I love some of the descriptions, and we're going to need to just cruise through them because, we, again, we're out of time. But some of the descriptions that he has, there's four things he describes as, uh, you know, what someone looks like who has come through the other side. Um, a greater level of brokenness. Now, I know when we... In, in our culture, we see brokenness as a negative thing. But in the kingdom of God, it is when we are broken 
and no longer stubbornly bent on our own will that God can finally start to work through us. In the, fame, in the infamous repentance psalm of David, Psalm 51, that he wrote after his sin with Bathsheba, he says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite or humble heart you, God, will not despise. David came to a place of being broken by his own terrible sin. Being confronted with that, he was broken by it. And in that brokenness, God says, okay, now I can do something with you, right? Jesus, in anguish of soul, cries out to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, if it possible, let this cup pass from me. God, I don't want to go through this dark thing, the crucifixion. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Greater appreciation for mystery. I think it calls it something like the eternal unknowing or something spooky like that. But mystery. Greater appreciation for mystery. We want, we want a God that we can understand. Wouldn't it be nice to understand God? Right? Know what He's up to all the time. We want a God we can understand. A God who is there to make sure that our life is blessed and trouble-free. And when we or someone else experience trouble, then like Job's friends, we want to understand why. We want, we, we want to know because knowledge is power. Knowledge is control. And we have such a need for control, if we're honest. But when we go through the crushing, that need to control gets broken. And we begin to trust God. One of Pam's favorite quotes from Mother Teresa is, the more I get to know God, the less I understand Him. But the more I get to know Him, the more I trust Him. Thirdly, a deeper ability to wait for God. There's a wisdom that grows in us as we learn to trust God through difficult times. We learn to wait on Him instead of looking for instant fixes for the stuff that happens. It was probably one of the most terrible moments in Israel's history when Isaiah penned the words in Isaiah 40, 31, but they that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary and they will walk and not be faint. And fourthly, a greater level of detachment. And by this, in the book, Pete means just clinging less tightly to the things of this world. Right? Going through the dark night tends to cause a person to evaluate their priorities and to begin to value eternal things more than the stuff that we sometimes want to make our life about. 
Let's stand. I want to encourage you today. Yeah, come on up, guys. Don't, don't wait for encouragement. Just come. Um, I want to say today, give in, don't give up. Give in to God's to what God is doing in your life. No matter what is going on, no matter what season you're in, give in to Him. Surrender to Him. Don't give up. Because whatever you're experiencing right now or whatever you might experience in the days to come, it looks like a wall, but it's actually a paper wall. It's actually a wall you can push through. There's actually life on the other side of it. And those moments when the presence of God just doesn't seem to be there the way it was, God speaks to you and He calls to you and He says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Let me pray with you today. Those of you in the room, those who are online, many of us, just statistically, many of us might be right in the middle of a desert season, a wall season, a dark night season, whatever, whatever analogy you want to use might be in the midst of that right now. Some of you have come through one and you're trying to understand it and some of you maybe have, haven't experienced one let me encourage you, it's coming. <laughs> but God will be with you as you walk through it. So Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your love in every season. We thank you, God, that you're at work in us and through us and for us. Thank you, God, that, that it's your plan, your purpose, your desire that in every season, we would grow, we would be strengthened, we would become more of what you've called us to be. So God, in this moment, we say we surrender to you. Come and have your way in me. Go deep in my heart so that I might be truly changed. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen.